Hello, Warwick. Hello, listeners. I really Hello, wanna... Nicole. I've just yeah. talked over you. I'm, and that's really leaning into a conversation that we were just having about a topic, which we're not going to touch with a barge pole today, but tell okay. us a joke instead, Coxie. Well, I wanted to share with you my earliest memory, and that was oh. going to the eye doctor. That's the first thing I can actually remember uh, to have my eyes checked to get my first pair of glasses because everything before that was a blur. Welcome to the Tradies in Business podcast with your hosts, Warwick Bidwell and Nicole Cox. Divert your phone and grab a brew as Waz and Nick unpack tips, tales, secrets and stuff-ups from guests both inside and outside your trade, helping educate and inspire you to break the cycle of gut-busting and money stress and create a true trade business. <laughs> boom, boom. We've, I, I think a good test of how mum or dad your jokes are coxie is when our guest is trying to be silent until we introduce them <laughs> can't help but have a little cackle at your amazing pre-written humor i love it coxie thanks for that that's okay you know i just search these and find them i've got nothing to do with them except for the delivery don't let the truth get in the way of a bad joke coxie. that's very true <laughs> All right, listeners, we do have a guest today, which is awesome. I love our guest mm -hmm. podcasts. Uh, they feel like less work to me than um, the ones that Coxie and I do, just the two of us, because we've actually got to come up with the content. <laughs> um, but we're joined by probably a guest with a bit of a difference today. We're not talking about SEO or cash flow forecasts or job management systems or any of that boring business stuff. We're going to talk with Maddie Lansdowne about toxic masculinity, aren't we, Maddie? <laughs> just straight out of the gates, just like that. <laughs> Running under the bus. <laughs> uh, Maddie, your thing on your Zoom screen doodad here that I never remember to change on mine mm -hmm. um, says that you're a scientist and a nutritionist. And we've, we met you through uh, a coaching group that we we're a part of because uh, listeners, Nicole and I have coaches too. See, if it's good for the goose. Mm-hmm. Um, but Maddie's a super cool guy. Um, loved your energy in the coaching sessions that we've seen of you online, mate. And just sort of be cool to chat about something completely different to the usual business fair, as I do the inverted commas thing. Um, so, mate, tell our listeners who are you and why have you not got something better to do than talk to us on the podcast today? <laughs> well, thank you for those lo lovely words. <laughs> I felt the same in our in our PGA coaching group, like. Anyone that can take a little bit of my banter, because I've got plenty of it, um, you know, and, and throw it back is is always always good in my books. So um, I'm glad that I'm hanging out with you guys. But um, yeah, I guess what do I do when I'm not doing this? Um, so I'm basically, yeah, scientist, nutritionist, and I'm an emotional eating coach. And I usually work with women, occasionally men. Men are generally too stubborn to admit they've got a problem until it's far too late. Um, but I do get the odd fella that's like, I've been listening and yep, all right, I'm ready to change it. But it's predominantly women, mums in their sort of 35 to 65 world that have been on diets for many, many years, always cycling through a new sort of idea or the latest fad, only to be in a situation now by the time they get to me where they're like 30 or 40 diets in. 30 or 40 years into the process and they've realized that information is not the transformational variable mm. um, because if that was the case, we'd all be rich, we'd all be sexy, we'd all have the perfect life because our head's full of all the stuff we know, um, which is why I then go the layer deeper and work on the mindset and the psychology and that attachment and relationship with food. Wow. So what you're saying is the hippy trippy woo-woo stuff really is the secret to success, Matty. 
<laughs> Get it, out well, of town. <laughs> it, it kind of is. It kind of it is. So, you know, our thoughts lead to our behaviors, right? It's that simple. Like the way we think about the world and ourselves ex- means we execute in that, that way. And the way that you do anything is the way that you do everything. Um, so, you know, fixing that also means that you can fix the way you show up in business, the way you show up in your relationship, the way that you do your whole life. And that's why sometimes people look at people on the other side of the fence and they're like, how do they have it all sorted out? And it's that same idea is how you show up in one thing with this brain is how that brain navigates everything. Mm. I feel like our clients are sitting there thinking, hmm, I just got it. This is why Maddie's on the podcast. <laughs> Seven years of podcasting and our listeners just went, oh, right. <laughs> why don't you say that, that in the drops. first of 573 episodes? Oh, I love it. Uh, Maddie, you shared a really interesting story with us prior to coming on air about your experience of being a tradie. Yeah, so like... I know I look, you know, a bit like I'm from the city um, and I actually grew up in the, in the countryside. Um, and even when I go back to my hometown in Gippsland in Victoria, um, I run into people in the supermarket and they're like, oh, are you even from here? Like I, I get people calling me a rich kid from the suburbs all of the time, which is just not how it all began. But I, yeah, typical Aussie country lifestyle, spent it on my bicycle, going up the bush, basically every moment I could running around chasing kangaroos, yabbying, all sorts of stuff. Um, and was really into sport of all kinds. Um, mm. but I first got into sort of in my late teens into drift racing actually. Um, and so I joined like this little drift crew called the Valley Drifters. Um, and they taught me how to build my own drift car. So, wow. um, in conjunction with my grandfather also building my first normal car with me and just teaching me everything along the way. Um, yeah, I learned how to build these race cars and throw them off cliffs and crash them and all sorts of stuff. Um, and then moved to university in Geelong. So it was about 350 Ks away. Um, and I applied for this job at Kennard's Hire. Um, they needed a, a small engines mechanic and a trade assistant. And so they, yeah, they gave me a call and I was like shocked because I didn't have any of the experience that they said they needed, which is like mechanical experience, like professionally speaking, um, or being in an engineering degree. And I just said, I've got a race car. Can I bring that to the, to the interview? And I did. <laughs> and did you trailer it or drive it there, Matty? No, I drove it. I drove it, which was nice. illegal at the time, I should add. Um, <laughs> Um, so I went the long way, um, but, um, but yeah, and the whole interview was basically just looking under the bonnet of that car and me talking through what I'd done. Um, and they were like, sounds pretty good to me. Start on Monday, basically. Um, <laughs> and I worked there for five years, fixing excavators and bobcats and going out to job sites and sitting in the big of a, like sitting in a big mud pit over a, a broken down excavator, trying to figure out in like 50 degree heat what was going wrong. And I absolutely loved that job. Lowest paying job I've ever had, but I loved it. <laughs> it's always the lowest paying ones that bring a lot of joy. Have you always had that much spunk to turn up and just say, can I bring the car to the interview and then actually follow through? Is that always been part of your personality yeah i think so i think so <laughs> just like it just just makes logical sense to me i'm like oh but i made a machine work so can i bring that machine mm, it's like <laughs> the whole transfer. job's fixing machines yeah. <laughs> idea. yeah love it mate love it so from uh fixing excavators and skid steer loaders mm -hmm. uh how how do we now have scientists nutritionists mm. and headspace coach essentially in the title mate yeah that's a great question um because before that i was focused on trying to be an athlete i was trying to 
be a Olympian level swimmer, um, and I, which I got to sort of national level with. And then um, I sort of missed, missed the Athens Olympics at the time by not too much and was like, oh, well, what's the next thing I can be good at? And then I realized that it's only a few years until I can run out of steam with, with fitness. Mm. So I got into music and I started learning how to play drums because um, I was like, I can be amazing at 75 if I'm a drummer. Um, <laughs> so, so I just went into anything that interested me, basically. I was just curious. So I just dove in head first. And, um, and so growing up though, I always said to people that I wanted to be a forensic scientist. Um, and that came from nowhere other than the fact that everyone was impressed when I said those two words at the age of 13. (laughs) (laughs) And so I got to year 12 and I thought, Oh my God, like I, there's no way I'm going to get into something like that. And so I, um, I didn't, I wasn't even going to apply for university because I was just so interested in cars and I guess girls and everything that that time that I was like there's no way this is going to work out but one of the teachers was like no I'm forcing you to put a university application in and I put forensics on the list um I didn't study for any of the exams but um got a high enough grade got into forensic science um and so I that's I was just like oh my life changed overnight it was an opportunity that I never expected to be there Mm. um so I didn't have any money to move either so I worked it on the spare parts counter of super cheap auto for the for for the next year free parts Um, for the drift car mate yeah super cheap parts for the drift car (laughs) (laughs) um and so yeah it was just an opportunity I never expected to have and so when it was when it popped up I just took it um and so I'm just really really driven by my curiosity so I didn't sort of think of like the difference between I need to be smart to go to uni and working with cars is not a smart, I didn't think of it like that at all. It was just like, sweet, let's give this a crack. Is that natural curiosity something you've always had or something you feel like your parents contributed to? Um, Definitely my mum really encouraged um, curiosity and asking questions and like um, there's, I, I put a post up recently on Facebook, one of those like 37 things you didn't know about me. And my mum commented on it um, and said that I used to recite encyclopedias and the numbers of which the information was on pages when I was like seven. I have no memory of that, but um, my mum said that. So I guess it's always been be there. True. It's got to be true. <laughs> yeah. Mum said it's says- true. Thanks, mum. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's um that's not easy to foster because it can naturally be quite dangerous. I'm probably talking with my mum hat now mm-hmm. um, and having a couple of really curious kids who have spent a lot of time in and out of emergency rooms and in plasters and whatnot because they're naturally curious and they want to know what makes something work. Um, it's quite challenging to encourage that and not discourage it as a parent. Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, if you look on a bigger, broader perspective in the workplace or in society, you know, the the person who disrupts the flow mm. um, usually doesn't get much positive attention. Mm-hmm. Um, but something I learned through or, or was sort of um, reinforced as I learned more about sales was like when you go into sales or selling anyone anything and when you get to that objection or tricky part is like channeling childlike curiosity just breaks down all the walls of everybody. If, you, if you're aggressive and like put, forcing your opinion or, or whatever it is upon someone, of course they're going to defend themselves. It's going to be a reaction. You're judging them, you know, for their decision. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think I've just always had that childhood curiosity. And then it was something by Alex Hormozy that was, yeah, he was talking about like, be super childlike in the way you're like, 
you know, do, do you think your partner would be cool with this? Like, you mm-hmm. know, in this really kind of childlike way. And it just breaks down everybody's defense systems. But and I think that, it's the, that we should take that same approach in challenging situations is that if we're focused on the positive outcome or care for the other person or actually a better life, whatever the outcome is, mm-hmm. like, you know, coming from that child place of like, who wouldn't want this? This is amazing. You know, <laughs> it's such a safe place to come from. Yes. Uh, that's another good reason for me to never grow up. <laughs> exactly. Never be mature. Never going to happen anyway. <laughs> Nothing fit. <clears throat> oh, okay. So Coxie's running out of questions. I'll jump in. Um, <laughs> all right. I'm no, being polite. Being respectful and letting Warwick yes. have a turn. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, Maddie, so fill in the, some more of the gaps with your journey. Cause obviously you know, we'll mm-hmm. talk about current day and what you're doing. Uh, Cause I think yep. that's fascinating. Not just, for the obvious nature of your current profession or vocation or however we describe that. Um, but I think also some of the stuff, again, that we just touched on before going to air. But what are some of the other gaps in there, mate, to bring you, bring us to the present day? Who's who's Maddie Lansdowne? Oh, deep question. Yes. Um, yeah, so Dr. I guess, Phil. yeah, I, I guess for me, I got here um, going on my own personal development journey like many people do, right? Um, and I'm definitely not finished you know I don't think you ever arrive um, and I've got many chapters of, of challenge ahead of me no doubt um, but for me it was just going through a super challenging relationship throughout almost all of my 20s um, and I just wanted to level up for her um, which was, was the thing that sent me into business was the thing that sent me into personal development psychologists dealing with my own emotional eating stuff because my um, you know I was having symptoms that my grandfather my uncle and my dad were all having from their poor eating and drinking habits over life you know a life of you know 50 odd years in total um, and then I was having the same symptoms in my tw- early 20s um, and realizing that the connection between food and uh, information and I had an honors degree in nutrition and I still wasn't executing which is the same as all the women I work with they know they know what to eat I've, ne- I've spoken in I don't know 15 countries maybe I've never met a person that wasn't like meat and veggies is a pretty good idea <laughs> everyone knows right yeah Everyone yeah, so knows. tell me what you actually eat. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and it's the same in the other direction. I've never met somebody that didn't know that chocolate was probably not ideal for breakfast. Mm. So it's not about information. And I learned this through my own health journey, but also in that you know relationship with, um, you know, through my 20s, which was all based on a giant reaction to childhood trauma and growing up in a very violent environment. Um, and me just like constantly in defense and protection mode and but also having part of me that knew that I didn't want to show up like this it does it it's producing terrible consequences in my life um and and understanding that the way I do anything is the way I do everything and so I'm never going to get a business off the ground I'm never going to get a successful relationship that I'm actually happy in I'm never going to do any of these things in life good enough to be you know satisfied or content in a way that's sort of at peace rather than always chasing something that's sort of in the distance you know like the rainbow mm-hmm. um, and it was on that uh, almost 10 year journey I guess of um, personal development seminars and business seminars and pushing myself out there to meet different people and the first business I actually started was a record label because I was I was lucky enough to do some pretty cool stuff with music and then that failed dismally um, but I learned so much there and so yeah, I think that the big gap in there is just like recovery from painful trauma that I was living out, which I was grew up surrounded by men 
living out their childhood trauma. Um, and a lot of men will, you know, will obviously just be like, that's just the way it is. You know, you've just got to be tougher, which is basically the advice of my grandfather. And I just never accepted that. I was just mm -hmm. like, that's no, like you look, I don't want to spend 75 years miserable. Like you look miserable. <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> like, like who wants to be like that? So yeah, yeah that, that was a big reason for me leaving the hometown and just, I guess, yeah, maybe the motivating thing behind the curiosity is like, how can I be different? Mm. It's a pretty mature um, process to go through in your 20s. I don't know too many people in their 20s that are quite ready to embark on a journey like that. Yeah, well, thanks. I appreciate that. I would, I would also say maybe it's just that I hang out with these, these kind of people mm. now is that I, I know a lot of people too. And I, I see some kids these days that are even younger than me getting their shit together. And I'm just like, I wish I'd figured it out then. Oh my <laughs> God. This is fantastic. Yep. Um, yeah. But I guess what we're seeing possibly with the, with social media is a huge divide because social media is creating every human to be addicted to their phone, to this supply of, you know, temporary happiness of like, you know, or puts you into the zombie state. Um, and then there's a very few amount of people that are like able to see that, oh, this is really toxic to my life and develop a healthy relationship with it. Um, and it's funny because you can kind of get, stuck into that seminar junkie phase too which is like i'm just absorbing loads of um, personal development content but i'm just still sitting in front of my phone doing nothing with it right and it's like you know there's probably lots of people in business that can relate i've signed up to a heap of business things that i half-assed that probably would have worked um if i fully committed to them and stopped shiny object syndrome and all that kind of stuff and just been like this is the one thing for the next three months nothing else <laughs> Okay, all of our clients are now saying, oh, God, they've got another one of those people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's they found another seminar junkie and they dragged him in and got yes. him to say all the things they want us to do. I'll, I'll collect my commission on the way out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> checks in the mail, Maddie. Oh, no, there's no checks anymore, is there? Hey, tradies in business, was here. Sorry to interrupt your listening pleasure. I'm joined by Coxie, of course. Hello. You may not know this, tradie or tradie wife or whoever you are listening to this program, but we're business coaches. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, that feels weird no. to say. <laughs> <laughs> but we do actually work with people just like you to solve a bunch of problems. And we have this fantastic program called the Tradiepreneur Program, and that's how we do it. And we do it with a wonderful community of trade business owners who are all trying to fix or improve or change things to progress. Things like getting behind on quoting, Coxie. Feeling overwhelmed, behind on your invoicing, feeling really stressed or frustrated about the money stuff. Sometimes you can pay the bills, sometimes you can't. What about staff? Oh my goodness. Oh my gosh, staff. Trying to get them to do what you want them to do, if you can even find them in the first place. Uh, there's so many struggles. And we've seen clients tackle these things in their trade businesses in a quite a short space of time, to be honest, mm -hmm. during the program and recruit staff at a time where everybody was saying you can't get good staff, mm -hmm. improve their quality from their team, collect their debts much more quickly. We How have sessions. Tips? 
Yes. Getting tips. Yes. So uh, people rounding up, customers rounding up the invoice by hundreds of dollars mm -hmm. because they're so happy with the sales process and the experience of dealing with the trade business owner and their team. So some amazing stories from our clients. But, you know, as they say in the, in the commercials, don't take it from us. Uh, <laughs> hear what some of our clients have to say. Coming into Christmas, we are not worried about money. We've got enough money in the bank to pay everybody's leave. There's work booked in for the new year. And for the first time in a long time, we'll be having three weeks off and not worrying about the business. That's probably the biggest win of all. Using the cash flow forecast, I've been able to look into the future and see where I'm going to be situated financially. And it's actually started to have a huge bearing on whether or not I make purchases. By far, one of the best things about working with Nick and Woz are the other businesses that are working alongside them. It is amazing how empowering it is to be working alongside like-minded people who have similar goals, similar troubles. We can all relate to each other and everybody helps everybody out by figuring out problems with you that they may have faced previously. Everybody has solutions and constructive feedback and it's an incredibly friendly, warm, welcoming environment, not threatening at all. From every job, I know that I will get a sustainable wage that's industry leading. I can have at least 10 to 20% profit and I can pay taxes, super, all of that. And I do not have to question whether or not I can because of the way that it's been built. And that is thanks to traders and business and what they've taught me and what I've learned. So there you go. There's some real people. We did not pay them to say those things. <laughs> and I think that sounds a lot better than Coxie and I reading them out. We really would love for you to check out more about how you could take your trade business to where you would like it to be. Surely you have a vision of what things could be like or what you wish they were like on a day-to-day -day basis, mm -hmm. um, whether that is reducing stress or actually making more money. Maybe it's spending more time with the family, taking more holidays, having the choice mm. that you really wanted when you started your business instead of this beast that seems to be there for many of you listening to this program. So if you want to find out more about how we do this through the Tradiepreneur program, Coxie's going to tell you all about it. <laughs> I'm actually not. I'm going to be really secretive and uh, keep all of our magic up our sleeves. What I would like you to do, though, is head on over to tradiesandbusiness.com.au. You can learn all about us, why we do what we do, and how you can work with us, what that actually looks like. There's a whole bunch of free stuff there for you to download, uh, lots of options. We've always got new stuff going up onto the website and a great place for you to learn a whole bunch more about how you can work with us. You can even book a 15-minute chat. For free. For free. That's how abundant we are. So head over to the website, uh, check it out, book a chat with us. And we'd love to find out if you'd be a great fit for the Tradiepreneur community and start hanging out with some of those people that you just heard from. <laughs> so it's, it is a bit of a um, common, it's almost a write-off that people do though, is, is mm -hmm. you know, what I was just hamming up. So I go, oh, here we go, another one of those people, you know, mm -hmm. and I guess we could say, oh, here we go, another nutritionist, another health nut, uh, someone else telling us what we should and shouldn't eat and what we should do. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people, and certainly Nick and I see this um, through our coaching, because although Nick is not a huge fan of me <laughs> attaching this label to her, we all love labels here. Um, of being a business coach or at least doing business coaching. I think the being and the doing ought to be separated. Um, 
but this thing we do called business coaching, there's a lot of people who go, oh, yeah, you know, it's just, it's just more stuff. Um, do you find the same thing in your field, Maddie, where you almost have to overcome that, that automated response that people have to someone else trying to help and heal people? It's a good question. Um, I, I think there's the people that are in that stage just haven't suffered enough. And I just think that's the raw truth is that if you know, and you're doing nothing about it, there's a bigger question, which is why don't I do it? Mm. If I already know, I don't need to pay anyone. And that's exactly what I help. That's how I kind of market myself. It's like, I know you know what to eat. I'm helping you answer the question. Why don't I do it? Why mm. don't I live that way? And it's a, it can be a very deep, painful answer um, to, to that question. Um, and you've got to, you know, accept I'm attached to this way of being mm. and it's unhelpful, like, and confronting that version of yourself um, and even talking about versions of yourself might sound a bit woo woo, right? But con confronting the fact and looking in the mirror and being like, this is what I'm accepting as my gold standard. And it's actually not gold <laughs> yeah. at all. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of poked a few people in the chest, Matty. Yeah, well, it poked me in the chest for years. Yeah. Like, 100%. I had to face up to the fact that I was a shit person to the people that I loved. Like, mm. and there's probably plenty of people that that'll poke too, because it's true. Mm. Um, and it, it takes being poked and poked and poked and poked to push you into enough suffering to want to let go of the way that you're showing up in the world. Um, and yeah, I get some, and that's why I work predominantly with 40 year olds plus. Mm -hmm. I, I often get, 30, 35 year olds knocking on the door. I just haven't suffered enough yet. They're not ready to do the hard work. Mm. I'm like, I can save you from 20 years of suffering, but it doesn't like, work. No, no, I've, I need another 10 years at least before I'm ready to come and talk to you. Totally. I think too, growing up around um, examples of men that I already knew that I didn't want to become was a really good push. And I also, along my business journey, ended up sort of affiliated with a few business owners that ended up in some serious legal trouble that I was like, I definitely don't want to do things the way they do things. Um, and I want integrity and I want to show up in the world and uh, in a way that really makes me happy. I've got nothing to be ashamed of, nothing to hide, nobody to run from. Um, and I think those things really gave me clarity on what I do want, like mm -hmm. as opposed, because a lot of people know what they don't want. It's like when I, you know, when I have these conversations about health, Oh, what do you want for your life? What do you want to be able to do? Oh, well, I don't want to die. Oh, well, I don't want cancer. It's like, well, obviously, like, <laughs> but what do you want? Actually, they did a study which explains this perfectly on um, skiers, competitive downhill skiers. Um, and they told one group of people, watch out for the trees. And they told one group of people, look for the path. The people that were told, look for the path, no accidents. The people that uh, were told to look out for the trees, hit trees a mm -hmm. significant portion of them hit trees and it's just it's it's life you got to actually know what you want not just a giant list of what you don't mm. it's a problem we have actually with a lot of our clients when we have those initial conversations with them they really struggle to identify clearly what they want they i think we have some down pat answers that many of us fall into the trap of thinking we want mm -hmm. um, and then when the time comes that we have to actually identify clearly what my goal is and why it's important to me. So many people struggle. That's, it's really quite challenging. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And I think we've got those, especially in biz the business world, everybody thinks they need some giant money goal. So yeah. that they feel like they're accepted by the group or keeping up with the group. And um, yeah, I, we've got these rhetorical things, same in my world, weight loss to look good in a bikini. And it's like, well, actually, if we pull it all apart, we're never going to get there because you actually really love Friday night date night where you have pizza and wine, 
at the gym around those people, you might want to lose 20 kilos, but actually yeah. the happy medium for your happy life might be 10. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it's the same with, with business. It's like, maybe you don't want a hundred million dollar business because you don't want to have to look after 200 employees and you know, whatever it might be. But um, I think people really need to spend some time alone to figure that answer out mm -hmm. before they come back. Equally, there should be a, a space created where it's okay for whatever your truth is to be true. Mm -hmm. um, because we don't want to fall into this feeling like, my goal isn't big enough or cool enough or, you know, or the right kind of business goal. Cause my business friends want to be billionaires and I just want to live on a, you know, on the beach with my surfboard and not care about anything. And that they're all okay. It's just about you being okay with what's right for you. How do you create that vulnerability for your clients? That's, that's not easy to, well, you definitely um, five steps ahead working predominantly with women. I feel that women do a great job reasonably of being open to the idea of being vulnerable. And mm -hmm. when we're talking about some deep seated pain, often trauma, there's some big stuff around these issues that you're talking about or working with. Um, it could be very challenging to get people to be vulnerable and open to allowing that space for it to be okay. Do you have a trick? What, how does that work? What does that look like for you? mind control. yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know to be honest I think like I really harp on before anybody joins the program that like most diet programs uh, and possibly business programs too um, you're basically shamed uh, or gaslit for your negative experiences it's one of those things where if it went well the business coach says I'm a genius if it went terribly the business coach says you didn't do the work mm -hmm. um, and diet programs are very similar it's like they're shame-based so you either show up to the weigh-in or to the call with good news, or you don't show up at all because you're ashamed and embarrassed and self-sabotaging and self-punishing. And, and it's, it's like this horrible cycle. And so because I know that exists, I ensure like it's one of the big things that I go on and on about is that you're a human. This is not a silver bullet shit's going to happen. It's mm -hmm. going to not work. We're going to fix it. We're going to get back up. Um, and so I really cultivate the idea that it's okay to fail, to not go well, to trip over for real life to happen and really champion the idea of getting back up. That's the real win. Um, and then trying things differently. I also don't have, I've got a general dietary philosophy, mm -hmm. but if somebody says on a group call, this, I don't feel good. This isn't working. I'm like, all right, let's workshop it. What does it look like now? Let's try this. Let's try this. Um, so for me, yeah, I just really champion that um, being a human. And I, I try and show up myself as a human and tell a lot of my own life stuff or, you know, things that are going on right now in my life that aren't going perfectly. Mm. Um, so I'm figuring things out, you know? So um, I just try and, yeah create that environment where it's okay for all that to be true Keep i think that's real man yeah there's some great lessons there for our our employers uh, that are listening and Ooh, yeah. around the vulnerability vulnerability piece and how you buy i guess sharing your own experiences you can bring some of that to the table and it starts to build that trust that we need for good relationships with team or clients or within our own romantic relationships or family dynamic all mm -hmm. of that is important particularly the vulnerability how do you both work with that space of yeah creating that vulnerability? That's an awesome question. I think in a very similar way, it's about sharing our own journey. So <laughs> we're not afraid to be very vulnerable and open and honest about some of that stuff that we've each been through. We do it on the podcast even. So most of the people that we start having conversations with are very aware of where we've been and what we've been through. Mm -hmm. And then I think um, a big part of our success with that vulnerability piece is within our community 
and the safe space within that community and the encouragement they give one another. So it almost, it doesn't force anybody to become vulnerable, but by seeing we tend to do, and when everybody in the group is sharing and being open and supportive and encouraging, it breaks down a lot of the walls that we tend to bring into that space where we don't want to be vulnerable. Yeah. I think that's how we do it. How about you, Warwick? Mm, I agree. And I think it's also, <clears throat> it's really hard to step into a coach or a mentor space or as parents even, you know, any parents listening to this would know how hard it is to put aside our own stuff, our own fears mm. and emotions about, you know, being a failure as a dad or I lost my temper and therefore, you know, my kids are going to hate me for the rest of their lives and grow up to be drug addicts and criminals just because I shouted at them once because I was stressed about work. I think it's having the ability i suppose it's a bit of a muscle that we build and also the courage to put aside my fear about being liked or not liked which is inherent to every single human being mm -hmm. anybody who who purports that you know what other people think of you is none of your business I, I think that is one of the worst um coaching axioms that's ever been circulated because everybody cares about what other people think of them because we're social creatures you know we, we lived in tribes our entire existence and so yeah. it's important what other people think of me i need to know if you're going to kill me and steal my woman or you know come and help me hunt and feed the tribe right yeah. so it's important to know how i'm feeling about how you're feeling about me man uh, <laughs> and so i i know through my own coaching journey and i have observed lots of coaches over the years that not all of us are willing to go there in inverted mm -hmm. commas and ask the tough questions of people and they're actually really tough for the coach to ask mm. because i feel bad making other people uncomfortable i don't actually want to do that i don't go around deliberately making people squirm in their seats um, so it's interesting you talk about that whole shaming people who haven't done the work and if I'm going to be their friend, their professional friend and care about them, I need to ask them, so what happened? You know, you're talking earlier about that childlike curiosity. Uh, it's like, what happened? You know, tell, tell me more about how you got off the rails with that or what got in the way this last couple of weeks? Are you actually doing the things that you said you were going to do? Because then we can work on that together and find a solution. And I think that's a big, a big strength in, you know, Coxie's amazing at it. I think that that female compassion and and absolutely genuine care is um it's a hard thing for blokes to to create i think um some of us are probably born with a little more of that or mentored into more of that um, and i get that from you maddie you know with your story about your background and yes yeah. i'm aware that i'm going on a very long uh, monologue here <laughs> i like probably it. the Keep longest in history i'm thinking i'm going to turn this into like one of those 11 minute songs <laughs> uh, <laughs> by ramstein <laughs> <laughs> three beats that's it um so yeah i i think that's something that really does work for us and um you know it shows up in the way our clients choose different behaviors mm -hmm. that's well, I really think that, that community bit that you both talked about like either the tribe bit or the community bit like you can yeah you use it to your favor right it's like mm. yeah if the one person in the community is encouraged to behave like this then just because we're tribal pack animals everybody else is going to lean into that um mm. and yeah i think that's that's the power of like the group idea too because i would argue that some of my group clients probably all of them have a better experience than one-on-one -on -one just because when they say today went terribly or this situation happened instead of just me 
supporting them. Yeah. It's like 15 other people that they <laughs> that they look look in the you know in the Zoom camera and see somebody that resembles them, like another woman with kids, you know that type of thing. And it's just so much more powerful that pack mentality. Mm, mm. Huge, interesting. You brought up shame. I'd like to maybe get some understanding around breaking down the barriers of shame. So what we see really frequently, a lot of what we do is online and it's really challenging for, um, actually, I think lots of people still to jump on Zoom for the very first time. You don't know what to expect. I don't know who I'm going to see. Will it be awkward? Will they call me out? And it prevents many people we feel from actually showing up. They'll register register for something and then not make the time or not feel confident enough to give it a go. So Mm -hmm. I imagine you must be dealing with that on steroids, given that not only are we fronting up to perhaps Zoom that we've not done before, but then we're going to talk about something we feel really vulnerable about within our weight or our weight loss journey or what that actually stems from. So some pretty personal stuff. Yeah. How How do you assist them to get over that? I guess a hurdle. It's just a hurdle. Yeah. Well, I guess with the sort of orienting the focus on show, like the goal being more based on my mind being at peace, me being happy with the life that I live, as opposed to most of their experiences. What does the scales say? How do how good do I look naked? Mm. Um, which you know, not that everybody on my Zoom calls is naked, but <laughs> obviously you can see the human element of them, right? Yes. So if we shift away from that, my body image is the only marker of success, uh, and move more into how do you feel? Do you feel good today? Like, mm. are things working? Did things fall into place? Did they not? It becomes about like what's actually happening in material reality rather than just this one dimensional, this is the vessel that takes my brain to meetings type thing. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that's, we, we lean on, on, it's more about internal sort of holistic happiness of your life mm-hmm. um, and, and quieting, quietening the voices in your mind that are unhelpful as opposed to like, how does my body look? That's always a part of it. But we, I think, yeah, marrying those two together and that one helps the other um, really sort of deducts from that sort of shameful physical presentation aspect. Mm. Mm. I've got a question from the ladies' perspective. So I'm thinking about my own journey into working in the trades and it was really confronting to front up as a woman and try and work in construction. It wasn't comfortable. It was a difficult journey. Mm-hmm. I'd love to um, talk about, I guess, the opportunities that you've then had in the same sort of zone. You're clearly not a lady. You don't even (laughs) sound like one. You're very masculine. And choosing to work with women, I could, I maybe I'm making a whole bunch of assumptions in the beginning that could be quite challenging. Was it difficult for you? And I guess what sort of journey did you have to go on to get to this point where you're quite comfortable doing what you're doing? It's so funny you say that because because we're in this era of like personal brand business owners, um, you're basically assumed that you only help the people that you look like. Hmm. Um, and so I get not from clients or followers, I get from other business owners in the health space. They're like, you help women? And I'm like, have you ever been to a male doctor? Like ever? <laughs> yes. Like, right. Um, and so and it's the same in the trade space, right? Okay. It's like, you would assume that a man would be the person teaching and then it's a woman. It's like, same question. It's like, who cares who the help comes from? Um, but I think I think my curious personality my whole life has led to spending more time with women because they're 
so much more willing to pull things apart mm. and go into the details and like what's going on here whereas like blokes are just like i don't know get me another beer um like and that's that's a really general <laughs> assumption but i grew up uh in a country town surrounded by blokes like that yeah um and and so like yeah generally speaking women are more interested in pulling things apart and being like what makes this thing happen or occur or how we can we fix the problem rather than ignoring it and so i think i've just always spent more time uh with sort of curious female minds around me as well as male minds um but they're also all of those guys you would probably say have a more feminine aspect mm -hmm. to them than your average bloke um and so so yeah i think that's just always been a natural part of it but i also used to as a little kid that probably fostered it i used to go to work with mum to the hospital and i used to spend like we there was no daycare at the hospital i literally ran around the ward um and so most of the people that were willing to tell me about the world were older women like in their yeah. 70s 80s and 90s a lot of the blokes taught me how to play rummy cub and taught me how to play pool and the few <laughs> things they did tell me were war stories but um but yeah so i think it's just been cultivated um my whole life that sort of sense of curiosity and therefore stepping into a space where um what was the podcast really that um you know i just looked at the data and it was like 92 percent female listeners um which is sort of reflective of my life of the people that have been listening to me speak uh and so i just sort of thought oh yeah well i'll i'll work with women and that's just come naturally really mm. do, do the, any of the women find it a little confronting or do they tend to come through the podcast so they've perhaps worked through some of those fears before they actually reach out yeah, uh, pretty much everybody comes through the podcast. So by then there's a lot of trust and relationship that's already been built. Um, and well, it's funny, somebody recently said who was very new, was a very quick turnover. She found me on another podcast, listened to like two of my episodes, um, jumped on a sales call and then we, we started. And she said a few weeks later, she was like, if I had have told somebody that I just gave this amount of money to someone my son's age, that's a man <laughs> to help me with this problem, my friends would think I were nuts. Like, but she's just like, you just have such a trustworthy, old, wise energy or whatever she said. But it was just like, so funny to hear her say like, and it must go through lots of people's mind. It's like, this kid's like my kid's age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, one more question. Then I will get out of your way, Warry. Given your age and given the age of your clients, and there is mm -hmm. a misalignment there because people are listening to you. They can't see you. You are very young. I imagine that um, some of that funky stuff must get in the way or, or maybe not get in the way. There's some big issues to be dealt with. What experience or what training did you have to do to be able to deal with some of the stuff that comes to the table working around these issues? Yeah, that's a good question. I think predominantly, like I've learned a lot of textbook stuff, mm -hmm. but it's really just my life experience and cycling between different uh, therapists and different modes of trying to heal my own wounds that um, really, I guess, and that makes feel everybody else feel comfortable because we inevitably get to like weeks two or three where we're really, you know, picking up the shovel and digging deep into some really shitty stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and there's like, everybody's a bit hesitant to share what they've discovered. And so that's always the time that I say, here's my story. Um, and as soon as I've done that, they, it doesn't, the age is irrelevant. I mean, mm -hmm. they already are a part of the program, so they didn't see the number as an issue anyway. But as soon as I share that, yeah, this is how I grew up so fast, um, you know, with sort of a violent childhood and, you know, DHS almost taking my sister and I away a bunch of times due to injuries and stuff like that. Um, like, yeah, as soon as once that's shared, people are like, oh, he's not just some kid that's like, 
reciting textbooks. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, he's he's lived it. He's you know saw it as a problem and went and fixed it. Mm. Um, so you know, and again, it's not totally fixed, and I don't you know masquerade myself as like you know this cult leader, but um, <laughs> but you know, I've done plenty of work that's shown me that you can change and it is possible. Um, and if I can show people the path that I walked just to even give them some hope that they can be different, then that's a great start. Mm, love that. Maddie, you mentioned the word change. <clears throat> uh, it's a bit, it, it can be a bit of a dirty word uh, in, I guess, coaching and development circles because it's all about change. Everyone's got to change. And, you know, you look at the last two and a half, three years in the world and there's been a little bit of change around. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I think people are a little bit sick of change and that sometimes if that's the solution or not the solution, if that's part of the pathway to getting the sort of results that they want, I think a lot of people, again, probably a bit resistant to that. And yet it's just a word to describe some sort of a genesis or a shift or a reinvention. You know, we're all going through it all the time. Are there, are there some things that you've seen through observation, you know, in your work where it's like, yeah, it's generally these two or three things that that's where people really start to take a different direction. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think as well, we should blame social media for <laughs> making everybody feel like they have to change at hyperspeed, which yeah. is like, and I, anytime a business coach, I love you both, but every time a business <laughs> coach adds me on Facebook, delete, as soon as I get their DM, a copy and paste reply, not interested because you will trigger my shiny object syndrome. Because yeah. again, I'm a human. I don't need to be any more confused. Mm-hmm. So part of part of that in my world is like literally unfollowing the 21-year-old Asian woman whose body you will never be able to create. Yes. Like that's just damaging to you, right? Um, so I think, yeah, social regulating a relationship with social media, it's designed by psychological engineers to be addictive. So starting to regulate that is step one, because you've got this illusion that you need to change 1 billion things in your life in order to just be normal. Um, and it's so not true. Like, um, and then getting back to your original question, like at the core, it's usually about self-worth or self-respect basically. Um, and mums particularly have been prioritizing everybody else for so very long. And we've Mm. also I often go back to the tribe example too, because if we talk specifically about women, but men as well, there's just as many overweight, you know, unwell men because they've been doing things in one particular direction. But we used to be in a tribe where everybody shared the stress load. It'd be like everybody would have a couple of kids and all of the women would share that stress. So instead of one woman being absolutely everything to these two kids, it was like, here's 15 women that look after these 30 kids. And so it'd be like, oh, if you've got this problem, you go and see her. If you go and see that problem again you got that problem you go and see me and so the reality is that there is actually a hormonal consequence to that which is like people's hormones get messed up because they've got to be of service to um, their children and or husband 24 hours a day for like 30 40 years Um, so I think if we get back to a place of um, you know actually sharing the load you know like it takes a village kind of thing um, you know bringing friends into our life because there's been a real shift to this individualistic society that um, Mm -hmm. social media has perpetuated um, which we're seeing come out in all sorts of really obscure ways in the world at the moment but it's moving away from this idea of the family unit and trusting friends and having grandma a part of the solution and you know my sisters a part of the solution or my brothers or whatever um so i think yeah step one is that 
these women have learned that basically I have to be everything because nobody else is going to do it. Mm. Um, so we need to shift back to, I guess, a more family, a, a broader family friends unit in order to share that load. But in that path of life that, that they've taken, which is nobody's fault, this is the, you know, what governments in the world have served up for us, but is that during that process and maybe even before in their childhood through some trauma, they uh, were taught that they were not worthy of attention or care or good things, which is why you'll find when the kids start getting into the teenage years and they do have a little bit more time, will just be filled with other stuff. They'll go and find other responsibilities. As much as people say, can't wait till I got time to myself, they'll get that time to themselves and then they'll go and punish themselves with something else. They'll, they'll do something else that's unhelpful for them. Um, and the kids move out, same thing. Like, so, you know, you've got all this free time. It's then filled with unhelpful stuff, but it all comes down to a core belief that I'm not worthy of care, love, attention, prioritization. Um, and sadly, the, the sad reality of the research um, is that for many women, that comes back to a really horrible beginning of uh, sexual abuse or some serious, some really serious situations that happened earlier on in life. So yeah, I think to answer that question more succinctly, it's like self-worth, self-love, um, which I know sounds a bit gooey for a lot of people. So often, even the women that it feels gooey for, we just phrase it as self-respect. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, I think, some old values that used to be around, and it's easy for people of my uh, <clears throat> number of laps of the sun to say, well, you know, there used to be these things and values and stuff, and it's all crap now, and it's you young folk. Or... Anyway, so uh, I do think, though, pre-social media, pre-internet, because uh, I grew up in that era where we didn't have internet, computers, mobile phones, there was no social media. And it, it is actually very different to what our kids are now subjected to without even realizing it. Um, but a lot of those values were actually part of even my upbringing. And, and you know, my both my parents had traumatic childhoods with alcoholism and violence and all that sort of stuff. And there was still, I guess, a reliance on some of those old values around self-respect um, and, you know, treat yourself the way you would expect others to treat you. And they, they were truisms and axioms that were used in schools and everything. And I, I just feel like, as you've mentioned a few times, Maddie, um, I think a lot of people beat themselves up for the way they are. And mm -hmm. <clears throat> I'm never an advocate of making excuses and choosing consciously or unconsciously to play the victim. And yet... Um, I like that you you use the term fault. You know, it's not it's not their fault that they've grown up in this structure. They've grown up in a particular game, and you know we can actually still make choices. But it takes probably more work now than it ever has done to disconnect from that and and start to um, cut ourselves off from some of the BS um, on social media because you know other people have engineered this stuff to actually. Um, turn us into slaves. There you go. I'll just hang on. Just let me find my tinfoil hat. <laughs> uh, must be under the desk here somewhere. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that makes your job even more difficult um, to what it would have been 40, 50 years ago. Do, do you have, you know, do you agree, disagree? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I totally agree. And even though like I'm only 33, like I, I'd look at it from working after I worked in the hospital. So I worked in, you know, a cancer hospital for seven years. And to me, it's as simple as are there more problems now than there were 50 years ago? That's it. That's it. Yes. 
Like every, like one in two will have cancer. One in four will have diabetes. One in seven will have heart disease. That's not what it was 50 years ago. The more medical technology and pharmaceutical solutions exist, the more disease we have. Um, and it's the same when people come into uh, my world and, and I say, we don't, we don't actually count calories. And they're like, oh, really? I'm like, yeah, because the better calorie counting technology gets, the more overweight the world gets. There's, <laughs> there's, not, a, there's not a relationship there between good results. Um, and so I think the same thing with family structure I think the same thing with society. And again, social media is giving, you know, it's also moving us through a lot of these topics so rapidly. Mm. So it's like, you know, whatever's trending this week is like trans is the topic this week. And then next week it's like, you know, whether people should be doing, you know, conventional family units or getting married or like, and, and it's like these conversations used to take a decade, like, mm. like <laughs> you know, to figure out there's so much to contribute and think about. And, and now it's just about like, Oh, who's got the most followers and how's the algorithm going. And, um, which is kind of like, you know, to circle back to the business listeners is like, that's the illusion we get stuck in is that, you know, the, the amount of followers and likes we get will correlate to an income. And it's just, just not like that. And also I, I think there's this idea now that, you know, you join a business program and in six weeks you should be getting all these amazing results because that's the speed at which things appear to move. Yeah. And yet it's just flying across the surface of all of these topics and issues. And even science now is not science. So much of science is just opinion. And well, yeah, 73 it always scientists. Was. We just know about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it's all, always been a lot of BS. <laughs> but, you know, just because a whole bunch of people all agree that this is the way doesn't mm -hmm. actually make it the way. Uh, so I think that makes it very hard for individuals, for business owners, to our tradies listening to the program to actually stick at something in the longer term mm -hmm. for the longer term pot of gold that, that, kind of does exist you know if you put in the effort you get the rewards you talked about you know being an athlete i find um athletes know probably more than anybody that i've ever worked with that good stuff just takes hard work there's no shortcutting that yeah i totally agree and i think it comes back to like just like you said you know there's all it appears that this stuff happens so rapidly online because you see the highlight reel um but you know these coaches that put up their screenshot of like i made seven million dollars in six days and it's like did you did it cost you 10 to get there though like yeah. <laughs> you know and it's just like if it's short term anything it's you know it's probably not going to work that quickly for you um and it's the same in the diet world like you know it, it might be like you know, I've got my first programs like a 10 week program, but I tell everyone on the first call before they've even purchased, this is going to take much longer. The first 10 weeks is about developing a new toolbox. It's mm. then going to take however long it takes afterwards in order to experiment with the tool, see if it works, see if we have to shift it, see if that tool's useless and we need to try another one. Um, and so it's the same with business stuff, right? It's like, unless this process is going to focus on the next six months to a year to two years, it's, it's very rare, unless you're the perfect client at the perfect time with everything aligned and, you know, also standing on one leg, holding your left ear, like <laughs> it's probably not the perfect thing that's going to unfold in 28 days. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, mate. You've just um, shot an arrow through 90% of business coaches, marketing strategies. <laughs> yeah. Well, most of them are business coaches. They sold something on eBay one time and now they think they're business coaches. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they're oh, popping up every day, mate. <laughs> Nick and totally. I love sending <laughs> screenshots to each other of the next one that's arrived. <laughs> Staying power. That's what, uh, that's what you guys have got. <laughs> 100%, mate. 100%. Matty, um, I could chat 
to you all day and uh, have a whole bunch of laughs and banter. I'm sure our listeners will run out of puff at some point, so we should probably get to the pointy end. Um, I guess before we do talk about what you do, and I'd love for you to share um, some details with our listeners in case anyone's going, crikey, I need to work with this kid. Um, uh, I, I want to ask a question. If you had a thousand tradies in a room, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tweak this a little bit. If you had a thousand trade business owners, which consists of generally husband and wife couples. That's that's who tend to listen to our show. It makes up a large proportion of the trade business owner market in small business land. Mm-hmm. What's one piece of advice you'd love to leave them with, Matty? Oh, since you added the couples piece in there, I'm going to go with start having conversations about developing healthy boundaries as to Ooh. as to where business starts and business ends and your marriage begins and your marriage ends that's going to be my number one thing because again back to the where we started how you do anything is how you do everything and when you're able to draw a line in the sand and move into the next stage of your day or your life or whatever it might be that's means you're able to be fully present there rather than rolling over at like 11:30 and being like hey honey have you done done this like you know that should not be a place for that right so i'm going to say start conversations to develop healthy boundaries I like it. (laughs) (laughs) You just got you just got an A plus from Coxie, mate. (laughs) Um, All right, Maddie. So, how does someone find out more about you? Um, What's what's the deal? Um, So, I also have a podcast. So, you can find me on all the podcast platforms called "How to Not Get Sick and Die." Uh, So, it's basically (laughs) it's basically a one stop shop. Which we talk about. Uh, psychology stuff we talk about diseases we talk about basically everything everything that's going to help you not get sick and die basically um so that's where most people find me i'm also i've also got a facebook group called the busy mums collective so if you're a mum or your partner you think you could benefit too um and, and our services and group and all that kind of stuff are all around getting control of emotional eating so that you can lose weight and improve your gut health so anyone that's been on diet after diet after diet after diet for years and and moved nowhere um it's likely that we can help out so come and hang out well, it's very awesome, cool money well, look, it's Thank been you. an absolute pleasure. Um, have loved chatting with you as much as I hoped we would uh, <laughs> based on our, our initial uh, online meeting. This sounds a bit weird, doesn't it? <laughs> it uh, does. Yeah, we, we met online and then we did a podcast together. Uh, <laughs> so, mate, thanks so much for your time. Appreciate your abundance. Um, you shared some amazing information. Listeners, definitely go check Matty out. His content is super cool. Um, he's as funny as he sounds and, uh, <laughs> and twice as charismatic and you have to go and look at a photo of his haircut. He does not look like he came from the country. Uh, <laughs> or worked over engines. <laughs> yeah. So uh, go and check him out. Um, Maddie Lansdowne, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks, Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate your time and energy and this conversation. So appreciate it. Thank you. Pleasure. You've been listening to the Tradies and Business Podcast with Warwick Bidwell and Nicole Cox. Find out more about today's guest, tools for your trade business and other cool stuff at tradiesandbusiness.com.au.